0: Uh, Hey, friends. So this semester, if you've been with us, you know we're going through the Apostles' Creed for our large group series. And uh, tonight we are coming to the place where we say, what is it that we believe? Uh, What is part of why we're doing this, just as a reminder, is um, it feels like today more than ever, we both are struggling to kind of um, land on some kind of identity that makes sense of ourselves that we can declare to the world And at the same time, uh, we're trying as believers, the way I said it in the very first week, is we're trying to go from um, Christian being an adjective, what it means to be a Christian, uh, to it being a noun. That this really is, if you uh, have trusted in Christ, if you belong to him, if you've believed in him, this is who we are. Um, That's why we're doing the creed. And the other reason this is what we're doing tonight is we're really trying to, what I love about the creed is what I really believe is the most important thing in the Christian life. Which is ultimately, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And what the creed does for us is it draws us, hopefully, out from ourselves to looking at, gazing upon, fixing our eyes on what is it that God has done for us in Christ. And tonight we're looking at the suffering of Jesus. We're looking at that part of the creed where we say he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus was crucified, dead, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. That's what we're looking at tonight. And to do that, we're going to look at a, a, a passage of scripture from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 36. It's in your handout if you have a handout or if you just want to follow along. Um, Mark 14, 32 to 36. They, the disciples, went to a place called uh, called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Let me pray for us. I just want to think about for a little while together tonight what the suffering of Jesus means for us. Uh, Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, um, we can only imagine uh, what Mark records, the agony that you felt, that you really did feel. In the garden. As you knew, as you made your way to the cross for us, you knew the wrath that you did not deserve. You are the the Holy One, the righteous One, the perfect One. And yet, Lord, you did this for us. That you might not only know and meet us in our sufferings, you you know them well, but Lord, that in your sufferings, as you made your way to the cross and died the death that we deserve to die for our sin as ones who are not holy ones, who are not righteous ones, who are not perfect ones. Lord, I pray that you would meet us with the staggering um, wonder of your grace for us, that it might be real to us tonight, that your suffering might really change us and Lord, I ask these things and I pray these things in your name. Amen. I don't know what your last two weeks have been like, but I was just thinking about it might have been a little bit heavy. Um, I mean, I think as an Enneagram 4, it always feels heavy. But objectively, two, two things have happened. One is two, two of my best friends. One is my best friend's dad uh, died of COVID uh, last week and it was one of those uh, things that happened is maybe you've had a loved one who has died or you know someone close to you who's died from COVID and just the sadness and the the fastness and the tragedy of it. The other is a friend just told me the other day that his mom is just recently diagnosed with cancer. Sometimes life in this world, the suffering that we feel, the suffering that we carry, that we've experienced, maybe you're in that place right now that you're in a place of deep suffering, but there's so much suffering that we encounter in this world. And if we're being honest, as believers, we say with the psalmist, Lord, where are you? Um, Lord, how could this be? Um, Lord, do you care? Uh, Lord, have you forgotten us? Lord, uh, are you there? Uh, Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix, you know that book. Harry's wrestling, Voldemort's in the scene. We talked about that last week. Harry is wrestling because Dumbledore seems to have withdrawn from him, right, the whole time. Harry's facing Sirius dies. Dumbledore has that massive fight with Voldemort. And finally, Harry's in Dumbledore's office, and he just lets out his anger. Remember this scene? I'm just going to read it. Here's how J.K. Rowling says it. She says, Harry says, I don't care, Harry yelled at them, snatching up a lunoscope and throwing it into the fireplace. I've had enough. I've seen enough. I want out. I want it to end. I don't care anymore. You do care, said Dumbledore. He had not flinched or made a single move to stop Harry demolishing his office. His expression was calm, almost detached. And he said, you care so much, you feel as though you will bleed to death with the pain of it. Life often feels that way. And we ask, we rightly ask, with the psalmist, Lord, where are you? And what I want to do tonight is focus on on, on the suffering of Jesus, because I think this is what we have. I don't have, if you're in a place of suffering, I don't have Here are the 10 steps for a joyful life. Like, I don't have that for you. I don't have for you, like, here is the perfect book. We could talk books. I could talk books all day long. But sometimes when you're in a place of suffering, you can't read. But what I have for you is Jesus. And what I want to look at tonight is the suffering of Jesus and what it means for us. And there are three things, always, not always, often three things, three things that I want us to look at about Jesus' suffering. Here's the first. Jesus suffered with us. The second, Jesus suffered for us. And then the last, how Jesus' is suffering transforms our suffering. So first, Jesus suffered with us. Here's what I simply, what I want you to know and believe and hear tonight. Is that he knows, the Lord knows what it is like to go through a moment of unspeakable pain. Uh, Luke, when he records this, He records it a little bit different than Mark. He says that in his suffering, he says like this, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He knows, speaking of the psalmist, he knows what it feels like to be the psalmist. If you know Psalm 102, here's what the psalmist says. He says, for my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. And this, listen to this image: I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. And Jesus knows; he knows that feeling. He knows what it's like to pray earnestly to the Father from a place unlike us, of pure righteousness, with clean hands and a pure heart. And to get utter silence. To get silence. Uh, I don't know if you've read the book Silence, Shusako Endo. It's a brilliant book. Scorsese made it into a film. There's a one of the main characters, Ferreira. He's a Catholic priest who's on mission in Japan. And he's having a rough go of it. <laughs> Nothing is going well. And he begins to ask that question, God, where are you? And there's a line that Shusako Endo says that the character says he said I did pray I kept on praying but prayer did nothing to alleviate the suffering prayer does nothing to alleviate suffering Jesus knows in the garden of Gethsemane a little bit not a little bit a lot of what that's like uh, there's a song so, so y'all I've said this I've shared this before but Our youngest child, Sadie. So our last year, I I, uh, did five years of campus ministry with RUF at Georgia Southern. And uh, we had Sadie my last year there, 2011. And Sadie's birth was complicated. Um, Sadie was, they caught it pretty early in an ultrasound that her uh, cerebellum hadn't developed like it should. We got immediately rushed to Savannah. We were in Statesboro where the hospital scene there is not great, Um, got rushed to Savannah. They kind of figured out she has, a, has this condition called Dandy Walker. Um, and all they could tell us was uh, she has swelling on the brain. We know we've got to address that as soon as she's born with the shunt. But all we can tell you is she might die like a couple of days after she's born. Or she might go on to live a perfectly healthy life. And we're like, okay, can we get something in between here? Like going to die in a few days to like gonna be a, you know, live a beautiful life. So that whole pregnancy for a listening for me was a season of of suffering. It was a season of Lord. Why? And there's a song by maybe, you know, Andrew Peterson. uh, It's my favorite. I don't love just full confession. I don't love Christian music. We could talk about that. A lot of it just feels like it's trying to make me feel happy and no, thank you. Um, But Andrew Peterson doesn't do that. He just doesn't. I mean, he's real. And he's got this song called the silence of God, the silence of God. Here's how it goes. He says it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane when he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod and the heavens only answer is the silence of God. It'll shake a man's timbers when he loses his heart, when he has to remember what broke him apart. This yoke may be easy, but this burden is not when the crying fields are frozen by the silence of God. And if a man has got to listen to the voices of the mob who are reeling in the throes of all the happiness they've got, when they tell you all their troubles have been nailed up to that cross, then what about the times when even followers get lost? Because we all get lost sometimes. And the first thing I want you to know is Jesus knows something of what that is. He knows your pain. Did you, did you, did you watch his anguish? Did you watch it? Can we just call it a panic attack? A holy one. But Jesus knows your struggles. He knows. He suffers with us. He knows what it's like. He knows loneliness. He knows betrayal. He knows hunger. He knows injustice suffered under Pontius Pilate. Have you ever looked at the trial of Jesus? He knows death. He knows he suffered with us. But but more than that, he suffered with us, but he also suffered for us. And that's a huge part of what we say in the creed was crucified, died, and was buried and he descended into hell. Now, that's a controversial part of the creed. What do we mean by that? The simplest way to say it is he faced the wrath that you and I deserve from a holy God for our sin. I'm going to say it like this. This is going to be offensive. But I'm going to say it like this. Part of how you know you're a Christian is that you know you deserve hell. For the suffering you've caused. For your indifference to the suffering around you. For the ways you've grieved the heart of God and rebelled against him. And yet you have a Lord, if you belong to Jesus, who faced that for you. It's interesting what all the commentators point out is how unhinged and how unsettled Jesus seems in the Garden of Gethsemane. He seems uh, before this in Mark's gospel, nothing but calm, compassionate, confrontational when he needs to be. But suddenly it seems like if you're reading this passage, if you're tracking with me, he seems like he is full of this crippling anxiety and deep, 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 true fear. And maybe you're familiar, maybe you've grown up in the church and you've heard stories of like martyrs, you know, maybe you've heard stories like think about a couple of these. Maybe you've heard the story of Polycarp, right? One of the early church fathers who before he was burned alive (laughs) in the Colosseum, he said this, 86 years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Or maybe you know the stories of some of the Puritans, Hugh Latimer, what he said to his friend Nicholas Ridley before they were both burned again at the stake. And he said to him, play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And I want to make you uncomfortable for a second because it seems like that's not how Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Why? Because he's facing something more than death. He's facing the wrath of his father. The fullness of hell is what Jesus is facing on the cross. I like the way that Bill Lane says it. He says, the dreadful sorrow and anxiety that Jesus Christ experienced in the prayer for the passing of the cup. That's what the cup is. If you know that your Old Testament, the cup is the cup of God's wrath towards sin. In the prayer for the passing of the cup, it was not just an expression of fear before a dark destiny nor of a shrinking from the prospect of the physical suffering and death. It is rather the horror of one who lived a holy life for the father and who came to be with the father for an interlude before his betrayal, but found hell rather than heaven open before him. It's not just the painful death. He knows he's about to go after his trial on the cross. It is the father giving him over the father giving him over for what we deserve. Um, I like the way that one other Donald McLeod says that he says the wonder of the love of Christ for his people is not that for their sake he faced death without fear, but that for their sake he faced it terrified, terrified by what he knew. And terrified by what he did not know, he took I love this line: he took damnation lovingly here 's the way I was thinking about it. All right so when my kids were little, uh, build a bear workshops were still a thing because malls were still a thing, right? Uh, so I, I had my at least for my first two kids, my fair share of building building bears right it 's not my favorite. It was like you make it skinny, you make it a little a little like thick. Yeah, you know, you give a little hat, a little, but I mean, just, you know, it was just, it was great for them, but not my thing. But imagine for a second, you could build a god. What would, what would you, what would you build? I think, for me, I would say, okay, loving, powerful. Seems important that he would know everything and like be in charge of everything. Um, compassionate, yeah, absolutely. Empathy, definitely, yeah. I mean, right, good, righteous, like, that seems important. Like, we can trust him, right? Here's what I bet none of us would say. A God who suffered. A God who knows suffering. A God who knows what it's like to be in my shoes. A God who faced hell for me. You know, it's funny. We think we say, and this is a big question, and I'd love to grab coffee because it's a big question. We, you know, One of the biggest objections to Christianity is how can you believe in a God that would send anyone to hell? But can I just point you to Mark 14 and say, let me show you a God who went to hell for you, to save you, to redeem you, who faced what you and I deserve for our sin because he loves you that much. So first... He suffers with us. We have a high priest who knows our struggles. Second, he suffered for us. He faced the wrath that we deserve. And then the last thing I want you to see quickly is that he suffered that our suffering might be transformed. Jesus suffers in the garden. I like to say even Jesus was disappointed in an olive garden. He suffers in the garden, not that our life might be roses, but that life in Eden might be restored. And this means that our suffering isn't random. It isn't an illusion, and it works in ways seen and unseen for this purpose. We're not always please hear me we can't always trace why. We can't always trace. Here's exactly why. but we do know that in all of our suffering, it's meant to draw us more deeply into the sufferings of Jesus and into the heart of Jesus, and into life with him, and love to him. He suffered, not that we wouldn't suffer, but that in all our sufferings, we would be drawn closer to him. I can't do it better than David Pallison. I'm just going to close us out with this and one more Peterson. Here's how Pallison says it. He says, so often the initial reaction to painful suffering is, why me? Why this? Why now? Why? But then God comes for you in the flesh, in Christ, into suffering on your behalf. He does not offer advice and perspective from afar. He steps into your significant suffering. He will see you through and work with you the whole way. This reality changes the questions that rise up from your heart. That inward turning, why me, quiets down. I love this, quiets down, lifts its eyes, and begins to look around. You turn outward, and new wonderful questions form why not you? Or why you? Why would you enter this world of evils? Why Jesus would you go through loss, weakness, hardship, sorrow, and death? Why would you do this for me of all people? But you did. You did this for the joy set before you. You did this for love. You did this showing the glory of God in the face of Christ. And as that deeper question sinks home, I love this, this line. You become joyously sane. The universe is no longer supremely about you, yet you are not irrelevant. God's story makes you just the right size. Everything counts, but the scale changes to something that makes much more sense. You face hard things, but you've already received something better, which can never be taken away. And finally, you're prepared to pose into mean almost unimaginable questions. Why not me? Why not this? Why not now? If in some way my faith might serve as a three-watt nightlight in a very dark world, why not me? If he sanctifies to me my deepest desires, if he bears me in his arms, if my weakness demonstrates to the power of God to save us from all that is wrong, if my honest struggle—that's a line— my honest struggle shows others how to land on their feet, if my life becomes a source of hope to others, why not me? Of course, you don't want to suffer, but you've become willing. If it is possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And like him, your loud cries and tears will in fact be heard by the one who saves from death. Like him, you will learn obedience through what you suffer. Like him, you will sympathize and empathize with the weaknesses of others. And like him... You will deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Like him, you will display faith to a faithless world, hope to a hopeless world, love to a loveless world, life to a dying world. This man died of cancer, David Pallison. I would venture to say that the people, when you think about the people in your life who show you Jesus the most clearly— Who have the most patience for you. Who just every time you think they're going to be harsh. Are gentle. Every time that you think they're going to condemn you. Bring kindness. Show me those people. And I promise you there are people whose suffering has drawn ever more deeply into the heart of Jesus. Here's the way that Andrew Peterson closes out that song. It's beautiful. I'll close with it. He says, there's a statue of Jesus on a monastery knoll in the hills of Kentucky, all quiet and cold. And he's kneeling in the garden as silent as a stone. All his friends are sleeping and he's weeping all alone. And the man of all sorrows, he never forgot what sorrow is carried by the hearts that he bought. So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. The aching may remain, but the breaking does not. Let's pray. Um, Lord, it feels like we're on holy ground. Um, and we thank you. Um, we thank you for what you suffered for us because you love us. Um, Lord, we, we say, we, we relate to the man who said to you, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Lord, I, I pray in particular um, for my uh, friends here tonight who the suffering they're carrying just feels like it's about to break them. Lord, would you uh, be near to them? Would you be real to them? Would you be sweet to them? And would you meet them even in this moment, even as we go from this place, with your holy love? Lord Lord Christ, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.